turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. As we are making our way through the Gospel of Mark, if you're new to our church, uh, that's one of our distinctives. We have a high view of the Scriptures, and our objective is to pick a book of the Bible and work our way through it verse by verse, because we want to know God's heart, and we want to hear His voice through His Word. And I don't want to feed you guys a bunch of my opinions and thoughts. I want to teach the Word of God. That's what I have to offer, and, and nothing more than that. Amen? So we're in Mark, and so let's pick up in verse 32. And we will read to verse 45. All right. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant us that we may sit on your right hand and on the other, on your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink the cup that I drink and... With the baptism that I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your Son to meet our greatest need. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to serve. You came not to be served, but to serve. And truly, you gave your life as a ransom for us, and we worship you. We thank you for that. Uh, Lord, we've been set free. We're no longer under the, the curse of the law or the bondage of sin or the, the condemnation of eternal separation and, and death, but now we have eternal life in you, and we worship you. We thank you, and I pray that as uh, we work our way through these verses, Father, that you would open our hearts, open our minds, that you would speak through me, Father, that I would speak with love, with conviction, that I would speak truth reverently, Lord, and with passion, and I pray that you would be worshipped, that you would receive honor as we have come to this place to sit at your feet, Father, and to hear from you. And I pray that by your Spirit you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
As I have said so many times before, and I'm sure you have noticed by now, that uh, the theme of this book truly is that Jesus is a servant. That Jesus, the Son of God, is the servant of men and women. And uh, we see that theme repeatedly. And so sometimes I feel like a broken record, or maybe you've heard me say these things a million times through. And uh, one of the things that was on my heart, guys, I want to be careful not to constantly come up here and say, you need to serve more, you need to serve more. It would be really easy to do that. We look at the scriptures, we see the example that Jesus set, we want application, and, and immediately I would turn around and start saying, well, you need to do more. And there is a place for that. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I am an exhorter. I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you, and I will do that today. We need that. Um, but what I, I want to do more than that is to consider the glory of how Christ served us. I want to preach to the broken hearts today. I've heard it said that if you preach to the broken hearts, you'll never lack an audience. And uh, I want to consider how the Lord has served us. He came to serve. And uh, He gave His life regularly here on this earth. And He gave His life ultimately for the sins of the world. And He continues to serve us. Even this day, the Bible teaches that he ever lives to make intercession on our behalf. The Lord is, is still praying for us. Isn't that amazing? The Lord continues to serve day in and day out. He is so patient. He is so long-suffering and kind toward us. And so I really want that to be the backdrop of this. I just want to take time to, to revel in the glory of what Christ has done and is doing and what He wants to do. Because there are some in this room who don't know this service of the Lord. They've not been served by Jesus, but He wants to serve you. He wants to meet your greatest need. But in addition to that, uh, I do want to challenge folks that, uh, that we, we have a, an awesome opportunity to imitate our Lord and to be like Him and to serve the lost, to serve the community, the world, to serve each other in the church and outside of the church. And so there, there certainly is some of that too. So, as we see, Jesus came to serve. He demonstrated that in the way that he lived. He demonstrated that in the way that he died. And what we seem to see regularly is a contrast between Jesus, the servant of all, the one who came to give his life away, and the disciples who are regularly fighting for position, fighting for status. How many times now have we talked about how they argue over, what are they regularly arguing about? Yeah, who's going to be the greatest? Who's the best? That's, that seems to be the running argument. And it's going to happen again, and we're going to talk about that, that today. But Jesus is not that way. Jesus is lowly. He, he came as a humble servant. And so there's kind of the contrast there. So we, we always have that set before us. Which one are we? Are we like Christ and, and humility and service to others? Are we like the disciples falling into this trap of uh, looking for prominence and trying to further our, our agenda or set up our kingdom or store up treasures and riches and security and comfort for ourselves, We always have that, that before us, that choice to make. And that, that seems to be the contrast that we so often see in the Gospel of Mark, and uh, that will be the case today. So, picking up verse 32... We are looking at Jesus, the suffering servant, as he foretells the suffering to come. Now they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. 
Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Now he's on his way to Jerusalem and they know what awaits them. They don't know exactly what's going on, but they know that there is hostility against Jesus there and they are walking into a dangerous situation and they're afraid. The disciples are afraid, but they're also amazed. They're amazed at how steadfast Jesus is. He has set his face toward Jerusalem like a flint, and he is not going to be detoured. He is going straight into the hour for which the Lord God has called him. Okay, And uh, Guzik, you'll notice, David Guzik, I put a quote in your notes, and he's basically talking about how amazing that is and how sometimes we, uh, we don't think much about the courage of Jesus and how he was steadfast. He walked straight into it. He didn't turn to the left or to the right. And it took tremendous bravery for him to do that. And he went ahead of the disciples in in doing that. And it's amazing to us in light of how often Christians, you, me, how often we operate in fear. Uh, We we fall short. There are things we want to do or wish we would have done and we don't do it out of fear. But Jesus didn't do that. He went straight into it. And also in in this quote, he makes mention of the fact that the disciples... Um, they're to be commended. They were afraid, but still they followed. They were afraid, but still they followed. So verse 33 says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him, and on the third day he will rise again. So this is the third time now Jesus has used this exact language. Chapter 8, verse 31, chapter 9, verse 31, and now chapter 10, verse 32. Chapter, chapter, chapter. Jesus says almost the same exact thing. He adds just a little bit of detail to it this time. He says that he's going to be handed over to the Gentiles. And Jesus describes his humiliation in great detail. And I just want you guys to take a moment... And and consider this. Take this in. He was betrayed. Have you ever felt betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed on on any level? It's not a good feeling. It's a humiliating feeling. It's a a vulnerable feeling. And uh, Jesus was betrayed. He was condemned. He was mocked. And that might be... Think about that. Have you ever been laughed at? Have you ever been ridiculed? It's not a good feeling, is it? It's a terrible feeling. And that's exactly what they did. They mocked him. They covered his face and punched him and said, Prophesy, prophet, who punched you? They spit on him. They ripped his beard out. They put a a robe, a purple robe on him and a a crown of thorns and and kneeled before him. I mean, they really mocked him. And this is our our Lord, our Savior, you know, Jesus. He came to, to give his life away and to die. I mean, truly he was the Son of God and his creation mocked him, spit on him, ridiculed him, beat him. And he did that for us. He walked right into that that for us. He served us in that way. He served our greatest need. He gave his life away. He suffered in probably one of the most unimaginable ways. I mean, just horrific. And that's why he came, guys. That's why he came. You have to understand that. Some people would try to convince you that Jesus was a victim or this was not God's will, but it was. This is why Jesus came. He came to give us life and to give it to us eternally, to to die for us, to pay our penalty 
for the wrong that we have done, for the, the suffering that we deserve, Christ absorbed that for us in our place, on our behalf, as our substitute. And, uh, and He didn't waver, not even for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3-4 through 4 says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So it was no mistake. It was all very intentional. The Scriptures foretold it. Jesus came. He suffered. He died. He rose again and He did it for us. He came and He served us. Amen? Is that beautiful? The Lord served us. So moving on, now we're going to look at the striving disciples. Verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's kind of bold, isn't it? And he said to them, Well, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. So there's a parallel account to this in Matthew chapter 20, and, and their mom is actually present in the conversation and she seems to be the one doing the majority of the talking. So they brought mom into this, this uh, picture to try to get in Jesus' ear and, and earn a little extra favor there. Um, and what they're asking for is a place of highest prominence. They want to sit at the right and the left hand of the king when he comes in his glory. And so that's what they want. That's what their mind is set on. They want glory. They want fame. They want position. They want status. Uh, there's a huge disconnect here, wouldn't you say, between what Jesus just said and what they're asking for. And this is just not the first time this has happened, you know. In fact, the last time I believe it was that Jesus said this very thing, it goes immediately into them walking down the road, and Jesus said, what were you guys talking about? And uh, they were embarrassed. They didn't want to say what they were talking about because they were talking about who was going to be the greatest and so this, over and over we see this happening, and it's so odd that coming right off the heels of what Jesus just said, they would interject into the conversation and make a request like this. They, they clearly didn't get it. They clearly didn't get it. Now, they believed that when the Messiah came, he was going to be an earthly king who would set up God's kingdom on earth, overthrow all the current reigning powers, and, and Israel would be established to glory again, and Jerusalem would be the center of it all, and they wanted to be, they wanted to get in on that. They thought Jesus was getting ready to take over, set up shop, and they wanted to be on the front end of that. That's what they were thinking. And Jesus came for an entirely different reason. We know that he will come back as a conquering, reigning, ruling king. But he came first to suffer and to die for the sins of men and women. And they, they didn't understand that. Um, you know, this desire for glory, for, for prominence, this is not uncommon at all for anyone. And I'm not faulting the disciples, frankly. This is something that, that I think everybody wants on some level. People want to be significant. They want to, to make an impact. I visited a church uh, in another state last week. I wasn't here, and their ushers, they had T-shirts, and on the back it said, Destined for Impact. And, uh, I mean, they were excited. They were destined. And so um, it's, it's in us. We, we desire that. And the thing is, um, people get it and they lose their minds. 
I mean, they just, it seems like they go crazy. And we see it all the time, especially with uh, musicians, uh, athletes, actors. I mean, do we not? They, they get some of that, and all of a sudden now they're talking about themselves in the third person. Um, they refer to themselves as the queen or the king. And some of them even go so far as to act as though they were deity. They're Jesus or greater than Jesus. We see that stuff happen all the time. And I know, I'm sure most of you in here, I'm sure most all of us in here have heard of the Beatles, right? Some of you think I'm crazy for even saying that, asking such a question. But I saw an interview recently where a reporter was going out on the streets and talking to millennials about the Beatles. They don't even know who they are. And the ones who know who they are hate them. They were like, I can't stand them. They don't know who any of the... the the musicians are, they don't know their songs, they don't even know who they are. 1966, do you remember what they said in an interview? Does anybody remember that? It was very famous. What's that? Yeah, more popular than God. More popular than, than Jesus. And now, 50 years later, people don't even know who they are. People don't know who they are. It's crazy. People get that kind of fame. They want it, they get it, they lose their minds. But the reality is, is, in time, they fade away. Nobody even remembers who they were. Now, this is something that most people won't experience. We don't, we don't, uh, none of us are going to be famous, most likely. Uh, but it's, it's interesting how uh, if you look at, at, sometimes you look at people's social media, and man, they sure go out of their way to project an image of success of status. I mean, they're doing big things. And, and it's interesting. You, you look at some people and you know they're not, they're not doing well and they're struggling, but you look at their Instagram and it's like, man, I wish I had that life. I mean, people, they do that. Even if we're struggling, even if we're failing, it's in us to project an image of success. We want that. We long for that. That's, that's in human nature. And that's something that, that is ever before us. We have to, to watch out for that. And um, Jesus said that the way up is down. The way up is down. You know, so we humble ourselves and we have to fight that, that desire, that pressure to be great in the world's eyes or to project an image of success or to act as though we're the authority, our opinion. Don't you know, like on Facebook and, and things like that, I mean, you would be deprived not to hear my opinion on politics and uh, all these issues. And that's something where the actors just go crazy. All of a sudden, these guys, you know, they get a, they get a, a, a Grammy or whatever, and now they are the leading authority on politics and, and what's happening out in the world. It's just craziness. And um, Jesus said, you want to be successful? Be a servant. And that's amazing to me that we could spend our whole lives and sacrifice everything for greatness and never get it. Well, you can be great right now. You can be great right now, according to Jesus, by serving others, by humbling yourself, by taking the lower place, by seeking to care for others and meet the needs of others ahead of your own. That's true greatness in the kingdom of God, and we can all have that right now. Amen. Amen. So verse 38, But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you ask, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? 
So Jesus is speaking metaphorically. He said, you really don't know what you're asking. Can you uh, drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And Jesus is talking about, usually when he uses this language, Matthew 26, 39, John 18, 11, he's talking about the cup of, of God's wrath, judgment that's coming. He has to drink that. And you remember he asked the Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass for me. When Peter pulled out the sword and hacked that guy's ear off, he stopped and said, am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given me? Shall I not drink it? And so we understand what Jesus is saying here. And he's asking them, are you able to drink the cup? Now, they, they clearly don't get it. And what Jesus, in essence, is saying is, my glory will come through my shame. Can you pay that price? You want glory, you want glory, and you don't know what it's going to cost. Can you pay that price? So they said to him, verse 39, yes, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared. You know, one, one quick thought. It's interesting to me. Mary, that's James and John's mother, Mary. And uh, she was present in this conversation, and, and she's asking for her sons to be on the left and the right side of Jesus and his glory. And, uh, you know, she was present at the cross, uh, John was the only disciple that was there and his mother Mary was there and I can't help but wonder if when they were standing there in front of the cross with the thieves on the left and the right side if this flashed through their mind and they were thinking wow, you know, I didn't know what I was asking for so Jesus assured them that they would drink the cup they will drink the cup and as uh, the Bible teaches, James was beheaded. That's recorded in Acts chapter 12 under Herod's uh, command. <clears throat> Tradition has it that John, I'm sure most of you have heard this multiple times, the Apostle John was, was immersed in boiling oil. Uh, he didn't die. I don't know if miraculously, according to tradition, it, it, he experienced pain or not, but it, it didn't kill him. And so because they couldn't kill him, he was banished to the island of Patmos. And from there he received the revelation of Jesus Christ, that which we have in our Bible. And I would just say, you know, it was not a... Um, we think, okay, well, it's not so bad. He was banished to a, an island. I mean, it wasn't like some sort of paradise kind of island where he's just out getting a, a break from civilization. It was a work camp. I mean, it was hard labor. It was a terrible situation. And that's where uh, John was, was banished. So they did drink the cup. There was suffering, to be sure. But Jesus explains that he cannot accommodate their request. I can't do for you what you ask. It's not mine to give. It's not Jesus's to give. So now, moving on, the third part of our, our sermon here is Jesus. He's the one who came to serve. Verse 41. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. Now, this is not righteous indignation. You know, they're, they're not so great and so good that they, you know, would be angry that they would ask such a thing. The reality is they want that. They've already been fighting for it all along, and they're upset that maybe James and John got a foothold here. They got in, they beat them to the chase. So there's nothing I would, I would venture to say righteous about their anger. It's just that they wanted that for themselves, and they were afraid that they missed the opportunity or that they didn't think to have their mama come in and get in on it too, you know. And um, verse 42, 
But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. And so this makes sense. This is not complicated. Jesus said there are rulers in the world, leaders, and they want that. They want power. They want position. They want prestige. They want to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to be praised for what they do. Okay? And that's not uncommon at all. He said, but that is not the way it is to be for you. That's not how it is in God's kingdom. And so there's another account in, in the Bible in Luke that uh, I have the, the verses in your notes. This is not a parallel account. This is not the same situation, but it's, it's very similar. The language is very similar. And I think it gives us a little more insight into this whole idea of being a servant of all, um, being least in, in, uh, you know, in our service to others, but being great in the kingdom. And uh, once again, we find the disciples, guess what they're doing? They're arguing, who's the greatest? And that's, that's where we pick up. So uh, Luke chapter 22 in your notes. Now there was also a dispute among them as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. You see the similarity there? And those who exercise authority are called benefactors. Those are the ones who, who give gifts. You have a benefactor and a, a beneficiary, um, the, the person who gives the gift and the person who receives it. Just a little side note. I used to work with a guy, and um, I, if I did something for him, he would say, thank you, that was very beneficiary of you. And I'd say, I said, I think you mean beneficial. And he said, oh, now you're just being fissurated sophisticated anyways just a little side note i think of that every time i hear this benefactor beneficiary but not so among you on the contrary he who is greatest among you let him be as the younger and he who governs as he who serves for who is greater he who sits at the table or he who serves it is not is it not he who sits at the table Yet I am among you as the one who serves. So Jesus said, you have those who sit at the table and you have the ones who are serving the table. Who's greatest? And he says, is it not the one who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. So where is Jesus at right now in this text that we're looking at, this, this verse in Luke chapter 22? Where are we at? Jesus said that he is there among them as, as one who serves. How? How is he serving them? Well, this is the Last Supper. This is the night before Jesus was to be crucified. And still, up to the very end, the, the disciples are arguing. And I love that in John chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus it says that the time had come, his hour had come. They're here. And Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He didn't stop short. All the way to the very end of his life, the night before he's crucified, they're still arguing over who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus serves them. Jesus loves them, and he ultimately gives his life for them. 
So we believe this is the point in which Jesus washes the disciples' feet. You know, they're, they're arguing who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus enters into this argument by washing their feet. And I can only imagine that they were probably stunned. I wanted to show you guys some pictures. Um, so if you would look up at the screen, guys, if you would put up the first image. I'm sure you all know this. Everybody in here has probably seen this. This is the Last Supper, right? So when we talk about uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, this is the image that comes into our mind. This is where he was at. But this is not accurate, and many of you may know that. Historically inaccurate. Would you show us the next uh, slide? This is a triclinium, okay? So it's basically a, a three-sided table. It would sit low to the floor. They wouldn't actually have chairs, and that's not what those are. Those are not box seats. Those are just there to uh, kind of identify the, where people would be sitting. Um, and so this is what it would look like. The servant would be right in the middle serving the table. And there is actually some significance to the seating. And we do know that John is there, Jesus, Judas, and we know Peter was here. Where John is sitting, that would be kind of the right-hand man of, of, the, uh, of the, the host. That would be the friend of the host. And we know that John, you'll remember, was leaning against Jesus' chest. So basically what it would be like is they would be laying on the floor and they would be propped up on their left side. So basically like this. So when they're reclining at the table, they're laying on the ground, they're propped up on their left arm, their feet are out behind them, and they're passing things down the table this way. So John was leaning against Jesus' chest. And who had the place of highest honor, which is the next seat? Judas. And that's something Judas was in the spot of the highest honor at that table because Jesus said, the one to whom I dip the bread and pass it, he's the one who will betray me. So we know that he passed it to Judas who was right beside him. But then the seat of dishonor right here, interestingly enough, Peter ended up there. And, and in some ways we get that idea because we know that Peter was communicating with John and he was kind of whispering, I suppose, trying to find out Who's going to betray Jesus? Jesus is saying someone's going to betray him. There was some kind of communication going on there. But we also know that when Jesus washed their feet, he made his way all the way around the table and he comes to Peter. And, and Peter said, no way, you're not going to wash my feet. That was his response at first. And uh, so that just kind of puts you in the scene. That's, that's kind of what we're looking at here. And they, there would have been a servant. There would have been someone who would have washed their feet when they come in, someone who would have served the tables. And evidently no one was doing that. And uh, I'm sure that the disciples would have been quick to want to wash Jesus' feet, but they certainly would not do that for each other. And so it's interesting. Okay, that, that's enough um, for the slide. Thank you. Jesus was among them as one who came to serve. And he took the place of the lowest servant, the lowest slave. And as they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest at this table, Jesus wraps himself with a cloth, gets a basin of water, and he begins to just wash their feet from the, least, from the greatest to the least. And he works his way all the way around the table. And that is fascinating to me. Jesus modeled service in the most extreme possible way. He took the place of the lowest servant. And frankly, he does expect us to do the same. So if you look in your notes there, now we're in John chapter 13. This is right after Jesus washed their feet. He says, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? 
You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus said, look, the greatest is the one who's sitting at the table, right? But I'm the one serving. I'm among you as one who serves. And in John chapter 13, he said, you know, if I, your Lord and teacher, am serving you, how much more should you be willing to serve each other? And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do these things. And that makes sense, right? It's one thing to know it. It's a whole other thing to do it. And so he's saying, you know what? You're going to be blessed if you do these things. Take the lower place. Serve as I have served. Humble yourself. You know, the world esteems power and authority as great, but not in God's kingdom. Because I am here, I am the Lord, I am the master, the teacher, and I have come to serve. And you ought to do the same. And blessed are you if you do these things. We're blessed. It is a blessing to serve. I love to serve. Um, that, that's one of the greatest gifts God has, has given to me as a Christian is uh, just an excitement to love and to serve His people. I love it. I come to life in that. And uh, early on in my Christian walk, when I began to experience this, I thought, man, this is awesome. You know, the Lord has served me. He has given His life for me. He has restored my life. He has taken me out of the pit, set me on a rock, cleaned me up, given me a hope, given me a future. He's restored the years that the locusts have eaten. I want to serve Him. I want to serve Him. I thought, Lord, if I can't serve You, kill me now. Take me out of here. I have no reason to be here. And, uh, you know, I want to encourage you guys the same. If you've been served by the Lord, then you are to serve. You are to be servants. This is, it's Christ-like. I want to read this quote to you, Jerry Bridges, in your notes. He says, There may be some question as to whether humility is a godlike quality, since humility is a trait befitting the creature, not the Creator. So it's reasonable to ask the question, is, is humility godliness? Because God doesn't have to be humble. He's the, the creator of everything. And he goes on to say, there is no question that God commends humility, and He delights in it and His people. And we certainly cannot question that it is a Christ-like trait, and we are to be imitators of Him as He lived His life out on the earth. So Christ came to serve. He lived His life as a servant, and we are to be imitators of Him in that so just as we have been served, we are to serve. Amen? That's what we do. And so verse 45, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. I love that verse. One of my favorite verses. I would say it's the key verse of this book. And you've heard me quote it many times as I kind of make my way into uh, the sermons. And I would say this is a great parallel with the Philippians chapter 2. It says, you know, don't look out for your own interest. Be mindful of the interest of those around you. Okay? Esteem others as greater than yourself. And then it says, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus did. And it said that He existed in heavenly glory, in equality with God the Father, from eternity past, in His triunity, but he didn't cling to that. He didn't clutch that. He didn't grasp it. He let go of it so that he could come to this earth, so that he could take the place of the servant, of the slave, 
and that he would be obedient to the Father in all things, even to the point of death, even the death on the cross. And that's how Jesus has served. He said it. I came for this reason. I came here not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus regularly gave his life in service to others, and he ultimately gave his life for the sins of the world. And so I just want to hit on this one more time before we, before we close. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, in your notes there, Paul says, Let a man so consider us servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So Paul said, I'm a servant. We're servants. Consider us as such. And it's required of a servant or a steward that we be faithful. We want to be faithful servants. What's interesting about this word servant here, it's the only time that you find this. Typically it's the word doulos, which is uh, rendered servant, bond, servant, slave. Uh, nine times out of ten. Here's the word huperetes, which means under rower. It's the person chained to the bottom of the ship at the mast that's uh, rowing and moving the boat. In Rome, that was, that was a capital punishment. If you were uh, condemned to death, sometimes if they really wanted to do a number on you, they would send you there, and that, that was where you were going to die. And so Paul said, you know what, I'm just an under rower. I'm a servant. It doesn't get any lower than this, you know. And that's not how the Lord treats us. The Lord isn't like, you know, do my will, you whatever. You know, he, uh, he's not that way. He's a very kind and loving. And he says, you know, he calls us friends. And that's a beautiful thing. But Paul saw himself as an under rower. He saw himself as a servant of Christ. And that is, that's my heart. That's my hope for me. That's my hope, my heart for you guys. And I was thinking of a personal story. When this started to really come to life for me, uh, I was a new believer. I was going to a Calvary Chapel in, in South Carolina. And at the time, I was living in this apartment, and my next-door neighbor was the pastor of the church. And uh, every week, we would leave at the same time, and he would get to church before me. I, could not, I couldn't figure out why that was. So one week, I just thought, okay, I'm going to beat him this time. And so I gunned it out of the driveway, and I'm flying, and I you know, get on the highway, and I take the shortcut and I cut out on the road. Now, this is kind of crazy, but I just cut out on the road in front of him and pulled in the parking lot. And I'm doing my little victory dance. And I pull in the spot right by his office in the front there. And he's behind me and he just keeps going and going and going all the way out of the parking lot into the gravel behind this building in the back of the property. And I thought, I don't know, something about that didn't sit right with me. I was like, uh-oh. And so we're in the service and... Of all the texts he's teaching on, he's teaching out of Philippians 2. Esteeming others is greater than yourself and not looking out for your own interest. And he stopped. He kind of paused for a second. And he said, you know, I know who my true servants are in the church. Because they always park way in the back. <laughs> they park in the back and they make room for the visitors and the newcomers in the front. And I was like, oh, I knew that he was talking to me. And... uh that just really hit me. I never forgot that. And uh, that was when it started to really come to life for me. Yes, you know, I want to esteem the, the needs of others. I want to. I was looking for prominence. I wanted to be the winner. I was going to beat this guy. I was going to get there first, you know. And he was looking to esteem others greater and, and leave the way open for them, you know. And so there's that picture. And um, one other story, and then we'll close. 
Um, I'll just, just go hand in hand. Um, same pastor, same church. And uh, he was getting ready to go into uh, the, the service. Worship was happening. And he was uh, in the restroom and he was getting ready to leave. And someone came up to him and said, somebody threw something in, in a urinal and it's, it's stopped up. I don't know why guys do that. Sometimes men's restrooms, they just do stupid stuff like that. And uh, I don't know if ladies have to deal with that or not. But um, the guy says, we need to get a deacon in here. To, to fix this. And the pastor looked at him and said, why do we need a deacon? And he just stuck his hand in there and pulled it out and threw it in the trash and washed his hands and walked out. And the guy's just standing there thinking, you know, I can't even, I don't know what he was thinking. And, and I'm not saying, I would have probably found something, an object to like, you know, but he was just making the point, you know, and he was saying, why are we going to put it off on other people? Why are you going to expect someone else to do the dirty job and the, the shameful job? You know, do it yourself. The pastor of the church, he's like, hey, I did it. And, you know, and so that always stuck with me, those, those things. And I thought the Lord, the Lord, he condescended. He couldn't have gone any lower. He, he came to this earth, took the form of a slave, suffered horrifically, for me, so that I could be saved, so that I could have eternal life, so that I could be healed, so that I could be made whole, and so that I could know Him and love Him and, and be led by Him, and so that one day I could stand before Him face to face in glory, and I can thank Him personally, and I can worship Him. I can worship Him in perfection. And, and that's what the Lord has, that has done. He has served in that way. And so... Um, we want to imitate him and we want to be servants of others. And uh, so I'm compelled to serve. I'm compelled to love. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel compelled? Are you compelled to love? Are you compelled to serve? Because my biggest fear is that you're going to walk out of here today and you're going to just keep going as you're going if you're not serving. You know, If you're not in the game, get in the game. Serve your brothers and sisters. Serve. Some of you are, are doing exactly what you should be doing. You're right where you should be. And I, I commend you. I applaud you for that. Keep going. Keep going. Don't, don't stop. And I have often found that when I give a challenge to people, it's the people who are doing exactly what they should be doing who take it the hardest. I've seen people weeping out in the crowd before, and, and I ask them, what, what's going on? And it was the message. They were so heartbroken. And I'm thinking, you're... You're the one that's doing what you're supposed to be doing. Something's not right here. And the people who need to hear it just da-da-da-da-da, and they're out the door. And Man, don't let that be the case, guys. Don't do that. If you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, praise God. Keep doing it. And if you are not in the game, guys, get in the game. Jesus served you. He gave everything that he had. And he's saying, you've got to do the same. So are you? Are you? Are you? Are you serving? So do you know the service have you received from the Lord? Are you serving? Jesus gave his life ultimately for the sins of the world, and we'll close with this. He said, I came to give my life as a ransom, and that's exactly what he did. A ransom is a sum of money or a payment demanded for the release of a prisoner. It's a payment that is demanded for release. And we were bound. We were bound by sin. We were bound by condemnation and guilt. And Jesus came to die so that we could be set free and so that we could have eternal life and so that we could be with Him forever. We would not 
We would no longer be separated from God. Hell is no longer something that, that, that is over us that we are afraid of. God's wrath is no longer on us. Jesus' blood was given as a ransom. That's the gospel. Bad news. We were separated from God. We were dead in our trespass and sin. And we deserved what was coming to us. We had to give an account. We had to pay for our sin. The good news. Jesus came to give His life in our place. The righteous for the unrighteous. He who was rich became poor in our stead. And He took our place and He died for us. And if we believe on Him, if we put our faith and our trust and our hope in Him, we repent of our sins and we follow Him, we'll have eternal life. Life eternal. And you can be set free. You can, be, you can receive that, that healing. And you can be restored. And you can know this, what I've been talking about, if you don't know this. It can be yours today. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. That's what we've been bought back with, is the precious blood of Christ. He did that. He paid that price with His blood to set us free, to redeem us, to save us to serve our greatest need. And if you're hurting here today and you need, you need that touch of the Lord, if your heart is broken, we're going to have people up here that are available to pray. Laura, if you would come up. We're going to close with a song. Let Jesus serve you. Let Jesus minister to you. If you haven't received this free gift of salvation, I want to encourage you to just come up and pray with somebody. Let us pray for you. We want to lead you in that. We want to see... You know this. We want to see you served of the Lord. If you're hurting, if you're struggling, whatever the case may be, the Lord knows, let Jesus minister to you today. Let Jesus serve you. Come up, let one of His people serve you. Let us love you. Let us care for you, encourage you, pray for you. We want to serve you, okay? Some, okay, we all want to be serving, but we need some people to serve too, right? Amen? So come up and, and let us serve you. And if you're not in the game, if you're not busy, if you're not plugged in, man, we want to encourage you. If you've been coming here for any length of time, we want to encourage you to get in the game. We want to help you to do that. We want you to know the joy of serving as our Lord served. Amen. Amen.